Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. I'm your host, Paul O'Need, and I am joined by a good friend of mine, Jordan Wong. Jordan and I have known each other for many, many years. Uh, Jordan was actually competing and beating my ass at my first ever powerlifting meet with his super long, flowy hair and chubby Asian panda body. Now he is a chiseled god and an all-time world record holder. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. We um, was Tampa, right? SPF Outlaws. No, it was actually a meet in Orlando, in a gym in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And there was, the one thing I remember about that meet is there was a very large African-American pastor who pulled like 800 pounds. James Jacobs. Yeah, and he was just yelling and like, boom! And he had this huge like routine before he deadlifted. I thought your first meet was in Tampa. No, that, that Orlando was my first meet. The SPF Outlaws was my second meet. So, damn, okay. So I didn't remember you from the first one, just the second one. Yeah, because I, I was, um, I did that meet with Jenny and Jessica. And that, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. That was my first meet in raps. thought it was so cool. Shit. Yeah, damn, I didn't put that together. I thought it was the, um, the SPF one. Because the Outlaws was the forum, so Tom the Tampa Barbell. Yep. He find it. Yeah. All right. Is Tommy still around? Oh, I think he's dead. No. Like I don't. Like I don't. Like actually. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have said that because I might be wrong. Someone died, but Tampa Barbell is definitely not around. Well, but Tommy I think Bennett's family, if if he did in fact pass, rest in peace. If he didn't, my bad. <laughs> That's okay. okay. I mean, worse things have been said on the internet, so yeah. no harm done. Um, so I wanted to have you on mostly because it's always nice to catch up, but also to kind of ask you what you've been doing on the powerlifting side. You just got, you know, coming back from an injury right now. And uh, you know, what's what's been happening? So from a from an athlete perspective, I competed at the American Pro, tore my pack tendon off the bone. Got it reattached three weeks later. So that was November 16th. We're about 14 weeks from Thursday. This Thursday will be, so two days from now, 14 mm -hmm. weeks post-op. And the rehab process is going pretty well. Um, I benched 180 pounds for four yesterday. I believe I should be just now probably pressing like a five-pound five dumbbell. So like we're doing pretty good there. Being aggressive with the rehab. Yeah. And then still able to treat my lower body pretty effectively mm -hmm. um, in the beginning couldn't really go as hard because i was still pretty limited with what i could do with my arm just like it was always in the sling yep. and just pushing it just didn't feel good but i'm pretty close to being back to real training again i think and you're working with seth right seth Albers. Yeah, seth Albers. Mm -hmm. he's someone uh he's someone who i'd like to have on the podcast but i've never heard him on a podcast before he was on table talk and he was on with um Justin Harris. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll have to listen to that. I'll reach out. Canadian boy, buddy of mine. So be yeah. good. Well, you, um, are competing. you guys are my guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a soft spot for people who enjoy cold. Yeah. Um, what about on the gym side? You own Showcase Strength and Conditioning in Port, Northport? 
Yeah, so Showcase Strength and Fitness, Northport, Florida. We um, So good news, it looks like my expansion is finally going to happen in November. Amazing. Um, yeah, the spot I wanted to get into last November fell through at literally the last 15 minutes. So like there's a tenant in there that was up for a renewal and the real estate company, the lady helping me out said he doesn't, he didn't want to renew. Then he signed it 15 minutes before the deadline. I was all ready to go. And then my rent got raised like almost a hundred percent basically. Holy shit. My current place. Cause he knew he had me by the balls. So I'm just toughing this year out. And then I can go over there November 1st, assuming the, um, the spot is what I like. And I think it is. So I'm like 90% sure I'll be there. But the lease agreement, she already drew up for me. How many additional square feet would that be? Uh, 2,200. Wow. So, yeah, I'm at 3,500 now. You were there with Olivia. Yep. So pretty yeah. much it'll be like a third bigger. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. You And you started, so for those who've never been to Jordan's gym, it's essentially like two equal sized spaces with a wall blown out. Yeah. And you started in one of them, mm-hmm. then had the then had the roof cave in and got in the other one as well. Was that all around the same time? No, actually. So when I originally went there to get in, it was a the one unit was seventeen fifty square foot, okay. and I originally wanted to just have a kind of like a personal training studio with some stuff for like my friends because like mm-hmm. my place, my commercial gym went bankrupt, and I was just in like panic rush mode. And then Joe Milswoggle was the one who got me in and met with people. And he was like, why don't you just take two of them and just make a real gym? And I was like, I don't know, man. Seems pretty scary. And he's like, no, just do it. And then I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'll just do it. Yeah. So we, I had to wait a few months for that, that tenant to leave. And then we just took a hole out of the wall. And then I've had 3,500 square foot pretty much the whole lease, except for a couple months. You added quite a bit. Like, I mean, it started as just powerlifting. Now you've got pretty, like, you've got a great selection of bodybuilding equipment in there too. Yeah. Has has that population kind of grown with the gym? Like, have you added a bunch of bodybuilders? And we honestly don't really have many real bodybuilders in the area. There's um, so Sarasota, which is about forty minutes north. They had some guys up there come down here and take over a commercial gym, and they mm-hmm. made it more of a bodybuilding style gym. Okay. So they're doing pretty good, but it's also one of those gyms where just the feedback I get from some people, like people either hate it or love it because gotcha. the people that really fall into like the competitive thing, like the competitive bodybuilders seem to come from Sarasota. So they travel down to work out there, but the other half is more of like the kids that just like that type of um, environment. Gotcha. Gotcha. So a lot of them seem to have like memberships at two to three different gyms. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty common down here, actually. Like, I mean, even even us, like, because we just moved out to Houston. Mm-hmm. I got I have two gym memberships now. Yeah, because the gym that we're training at mostly <clears throat> is like twenty minutes away. So if I just want to go do cardio, I'm not going to drive twenty minutes to go do cardio, twenty minutes back, and then just to drive back to go train later in the day. Yeah. So there's like a small mom and pop gym ten minutes away. So we just go out there. Um, competitively once you're all rehabbed what's what's happening so i want to do my own meet um in december the king of the platform i want to see you there yeah i want to do that um one because it's right down the street yeah and i like the idea of just 
doing meat with like all my friends. So like, so there's, there's two sides of it. There's a side of me that's like, I want it to be like a good big meat. I come back, hit some PRs or whatever. But there's also the side of me that knows that it might not be the meat because I am coming back from like my first surgery, major pack tear, juggling some business stuff, mm-hmm. expanding a gym the month before. So like, who knows what kind of like space it's going to be in. I think I can do it, like the the whole PR side, but I also can't predict how my pack is going to hold up in terms of like rushing the train. Like we're being pretty aggressive, but it's not being stupid aggressive. So I don't want to put myself in that position. And I just like that pretty much everyone from my gym that competes is probably going to do that meet. Mm-hmm. I've My last three or four meets, I've had groups of people from my gym just travel to come watch. So oh, like... I don't, I don't think yeah, I don't spend the money to come watch me. Like just drive down the street. We'll just do it together. So, yeah. yeah. Dude, I love that. And I think, okay, so that that topic brings us in. I wanted to do a little bit of a QA episode because you know, when it comes to powerlifting, you and I have been through a lot of different like eras of powerlifting, right? We we were through it at the beginning when it was mostly multiply. And then we went through the heyday of like raw powerlifting at his finest, Dan Green, Jay Nira, Cade, Kevin Oak, like those guys. And then now into this new kind of like more so Instagram lifting is, mm-hmm. is the thing now. And I wanted to bring you in, offer a different perspective. Cause you know, I had Dave Osborne on, we did more like of a technical Q and a, but there's a few questions in here that I think are really interesting given where we are now culturally in the sport, if you want to use the word culture. The first question we got was how to come back after a major injury. Cause you've had two now lower back and your pec. Um, I've had knee surgeries and torn muscles and stuff like that. So, and I mean, I did have to say two years off, so that was a thing, but for you, what's the process that you go through when you have that, I'm fucked moment. So like you said, I've had a couple of them, right? So I guess if we go back to 2015 for the back injury, mm-hmm. that was my biggest unfucked moment. So like I just, so the first time I broke the 220 squat record, I was like on that big high. I was like, shit, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm going to be so good. And then like two months later, I'm not even training hard anymore. Like I don't have to meet. I'm kind of coasting. I was about to start prep for boss of bosses. Mm-hmm. And I just woke up one morning and I couldn't get out of bed. Like my, my leg was numb. My foot was numb. I had dropped foot already. And I, um, this was just overnight, right? Like you went to bed, you were fine. And then you woke up. Yeah. There's no warning signs or anything. And like the only warning sign looking back, I worked at a restaurant at the time and I just remember taking a step and just feeling like a weird, awkward feeling in my lower back, like ass cheek area. It was like, oh, okay, that's weird. They just went off my night. So I don't know if it was related or not, but I woke up and I could not get dressed. I couldn't do shit. Finally got to my chiropractor who was a, not like your run-of-the-mill chiropractors, you know, like the ones mm-hmm. that we trust. And he used this up for He's good. I can't do anything for you. He's like, I'll write you a script for an MRI. If I try to work on it right now, that'll be irresponsible. So he wrote me a script for the MRI. I went and got it and it came back with, L4, L5, L5S1, compression fracture in the sacrum, severe spinal stenosis, and maybe something else. It's been a while. 
but for those, it was tough. Like I was like begging for back surgery, right? Because that wasn't that bad. And then fortunately, I was close with Brian Carroll, mm-hmm. and he just came back from his, and he told me, "Don't do that. Let's get you like on a call with Stuart McGill." And then Sue basically just had a conversation with me on Zoom, or actually at the time it was Skype, and we evaluated some everyday movements but really when it came down to it him and brian just said hey don't get surgery just rest that's all i did like i would love to say there's some big rehab process where i know i got on the ground every day and did bird dogs and the big mcgill big three and did all this therapy shit but i just did not do a thing i didn't lift weights because brian just said don't lift weights for x amount of time and the animal cage because i was sponsored by animal at the time that was coming up in march and they asked me like do you think you could lift and i was like fuck probably not so like i got under the bar with one plate and this was like in january so this was five months after the injury or so probably four mm-hmm. months and it didn't hurt so the next week i went two plates which was like two red so like 275 within five weeks i was squatting 650 again without pain and then I don't know how I was able to get my strength back that quick, but I did. And then ever since then, it was like I was healed. Like just the time off, I went to the cage, squatted 750, and I was only 35 pounds off my best. And then, and then four or five months later, after working with um, Chad Wesley Smith, was the first ever actual powerlifting coach I had, mm-hmm. squatted 800 for the first time. So like in not even a year, I went from like, shit, I'm done forever. I can't walk to big PR squat. So something I see really often in special, especially high performers mm-hmm. is whenever they get hurt or whenever something bad happens, it immediately goes to self-destructive behavior. Was that something that you fell into after that? So back then I don't really, I would say no, because okay. so when we, when we look at, my career in powerlifting there's been different levels right so back then i was just like the young kid that could lift eat whatever he wants like i was fat as shit relatively speaking but like i was strong and never was hurt you know so like my eating habits didn't change because even when i was healthy not getting hurt before that back injury i was eating pizza every night like i worked at an italian restaurant Mm -hmm. so so I, i couldn't be like oh i just fell off like that i just went to my normal life without lifting and then fast forward to this pec injury where I tore the pec. This is after years of like finally getting my shit together outside of the gym. Everything dialed in. Yeah. And that, and that, and I, I had, we talked about this the other day. Yeah. Like that's where the self-destructive behavior went in. Cause it's like, I have that personality type where I need some sort of major goal to mm-hmm. really stop in. And I know that like, some people be like, oh, that's not healthy. You should just be balanced. Like, you know, the typical stuff we hear, but I'm just not wired that way. I just need something to focus on. Like it could be, it could be like a fucking corporate workplace weight loss contest. Like, obviously I'm not in that setting, but that's something like that would always like keep me dialed in. That's interesting. Yeah. I take, I take a similar approach. I definitely am much more goal oriented. Um, The last couple of years I've kind of been forced to be more of a process guy because I wasn't able to pick a goal. Uh, I wasn't able to power lift. And, you know, after the bodybuilding show, I 
I wasn't in a position to do another one. So it's just a matter of like, okay, I'm just going to train to have fun. Yeah. And then to be able to dial into some other type of goal has been kind of hard. But for me, it comes down to, I need to get an answer really quickly as to what it is. Right. So if you have a twinge or a tweak or something like that, like I want to know right away what the issue is. And I want to start working toward, I want to make the rehab my job. I want to turn that into the goal. And as soon as I'm able to do that and I have structure again, mentally I'm okay. I, and and this is, this comes with a lot of maturity because after my, after I hurt my knee, funny enough, I was working with Chad at the time. Um, it was my second knee surgery because I'd already had the, the right one done in, in college. It was my left one. <clears throat> the surgery ended up being like a full, like it was, it was a meniscus surgery. So I had my meniscus removed except for 15%. And they actually shaved down my IT band because it was so fucked up. But what that actually did is it loosened up my lateral hip. So I couldn't hold any tension laterally. My glute med like didn't do a thing anymore. Um, Cause for those who don't know your glute med and your TFL run together. So as soon as that TFL loosened up, my glute med lost pretty much all of its tension. And my, my left hip is the one that's been giving me issues since then. So at that point I was like, I can't lift to get rid of my demons anymore. I need to find something else. And I, and it was at that point where I kind of had an identity shift about you know me being an athlete versus me being a coach and a person. And now I don't, I don't identify as a lifter anymore. So if I get hurt now or I have any issues, I don't have to have that identity shift that most people have. Like when I had that knee surgery, I was a power. If you said, what are you, what, who are you? I'd be like, I'm a power lifter. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, a really tough thing to shake when it comes to an injury. Luckily, like it seems like when you had your back injury, well, you followed the direction. It was just don't do anything. Yeah. Just lived your life. And at that point you had another job. You like, I'm sure not being around the gym helped a lot. Yeah. So for me during that time period, I was, I was taking, I already graduated college but I just went back to take more classes because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with like that stuff. And I worked at, um, where did I work? The restaurant still, Alberta. I was just like mom and pop. I was working there my whole like childhood up until I was like 26. And then I also worked at a bar at night too, doing security. So I was always busy. So right. like, I just didn't, and I still went to Chad's house, Chad Walker, because yeah. that's where I trained back then. And I would just hang out there while they lifted during the day. But other than that, I wasn't around it all the time. I was just on Facebook and YouTube back then, just watching the powerlifting stuff. That was tough for me. Still coaching and not being able to train was really hard. Um, I didn't coach yet, so that was cool. <laughs> yeah, probably helped. Um, but yeah, if the advice that I would give to the person asking this question is make the rehab your job. Treat it the same way you would treat coaching or treat training, excuse me. And find purpose within the day-to-day -day tasks because you can get really, really refined in your approach when it comes to rehab. And, and it can take a lot of your time. <clears throat> so get right back on the horse. And then I would say, get back to the exercise that hurts you in the first place as soon as possible. 
Yeah, and to expand on that, it's funny because you, when we talked about the self-destructive behavior and goals and things like that, like obviously my main goal should be coming back from the surgery. This right. is the best. So like everything should be locked in. Like I should be treating this rehab like I'm getting ready for a meet. But I think for me, it was just, it's not fun. And I'm not even saying get ready for a meet's fun. Like, as you know, that shit can yeah. suck pretty, I mean, just mentally and physically. But like for me, it's like, since I'm not in the gym, I hate using the word grinding, but like when we're training regular, we push all the time. With this rehab, it's like, it started off, okay, if we can go external with the five pound dumbbell, we're good to go. And then like eventually, yeah. if you bench a PC pipe, so you don't really break a sweat, you don't really find challenges. No suffering. Yes, but you feel accomplished. Like every second or third week, I find myself doing something and I'm like, holy shit, like I could not even come close to doing that just 10 days ago. Right. That's like the joy I find in this, which is pretty cool. But that's interesting. Um, Okay, let's stay on the mental bandwagon here. How do you rebuild mentally after a bad meet? Oh, I do this so many times in the last five years. Um, So for me, it's almost like when I have a bad meet, there's two types of bad meets that I've experienced, right? So let's go back to, let's go to my most recent bad meet. That wasn't the American pro. That was like the ghost meet. Yeah. 2023. So last year. Yep. And that was just training just sucked. Like no matter what I did, I, it was shitty. So like training was off that kind of domino affected into almost like self-destructive behaviors. Like everything's like shit or moving like shit. Everything feels like shit. Then my eating went to shit. My recovery went to shit. It was just everything. And so that was like a self-destructive last month or so, right? And then I was like, okay, I'm disgusted with myself, right? So we we talked about it. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to do the American Pro. And then I had, I think, probably the best, like, four-month stretch I've ever had going into a meet. Like, was, you were rolling training, nutrition, like everything was dialed in. Like, like yeah. I couldn't look back at that meat and say I didn't do something well or whatever. Mm-hmm. Shitty squat, then the pec tear. So that was more of like, okay, that's like the kick in the ass because it's like I did everything I could. Well, I, I'm never going to say that. I didn't do everything I could. We never do that. But I did probably the best I've ever done into a meat, and that's what happened. Yeah. We rewind two years to my lap, the other gross to me, same thing. Like I was training so well. I smoked 804 squat and training, like we're, I was positive. I just squat the record, right? Right. Then I didn't. And that whole day just fell off. Yeah, it was just out. And I couldn't even call it like a mental barrier. It wasn't like I don't have like performance anxiety or anything. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I just peaked wrong, whatever it was. Those are the meets that are worse for me, where it's like I did so much into it where I thought I was going to do well, and then I just didn't do well. So obviously something was missing. So it goes goes like reevaluation. Those are the hardest ones for sure. When everything goes right until it doesn't, you're like, okay, what what happened here? Like, was there travel involved? Was my was my hydration off? Was something in my nutrition off? And sometimes you just have bad days. Yeah. And it just so happens that that bad day was on the day that mattered the most. Yeah. And you kind of just have to, you know, move on with it. I've had, you know, I had, uh, 
Arnold 2016. Smoked an 850 reverse band in training. Um, I pulled over 700 in training, benched over 200 kilos in training, and I showed up in the meet and went five for nine. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, I had uh, taken more extracurriculars than I've ever taken before in my life, and I gave gave it everything I had, mm-hmm. and I went five for nine. And I remember Brian, as soon as I walked off the platform, he looked at me, he kind of grabbed, grabbed me by the shoulder. He's like, it's not so fun anymore, is it? <laughs> and and it sounds like he was fucking with me, but he that was exactly what I needed to hear at that mm-hmm. time because he knew he knew that I was t- trying to take shortcuts. Yeah. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. And then, you know, had a few injuries, took was still competing, but not competing at a high level. I tore my quad and like had a few other things. Then roll around to shell shock in 21 yeah shell shock 21 um smoked 826 in training which was jeremy hamilton's record was ready to do that everything went perfect peak went perfect uh water cut was super easy i recomped i was well like i look looked great felt great showed up in the meet tore my hamstring i remember that and I was like, what the fuck? And it was exactly the same situation. Um, unfortunately, after that hamstring, I knew exactly, I, I did the di- the, the post-meet, po- the post-mortem, right? It's like, what went wrong? And <clears throat> ultimately for me, it was, I couldn't train the way I needed to train to actually display the strength that I had because of the hip and knee issues that I was going through, which is what led me to take two years off. And that was probably the best decision I could have made for my own mental health. Cause I was just beating my head into a wall talking about probably 26 weeks in a row of taking one single a week on the squat. Yeah. Like that's the most volume I could tolerate and you're not going to be able to build a base of resilience in, in your tissues, just doing that little volume, not to mention, you're probably not going to get as strong as you could. But for me, the post meet after a bad one, I try to get back on the horse and get back to training and try to, you know, do the diagnostics, figure out what worked and what didn't. And if you can't figure out what didn't work, just get back to work. Yeah. Looking at it as if, um, you know, and this might, this might play into the next question, but looking as if that meet is the last one you're going to do is just ridiculous. Yeah. That's not actually something that I've had to grapple with until the last couple of years. And I'm 36 years old. Right. And I could still be competing. And I, I, my goal is to compete at the end of the year again. But after that hamstring tear, I was like, well, actually I did, I did a hybrid four months later, but after that hybrid meet, I was like, did I get as strong as I could? It was actually, um, for all of his faults, Matt Vincent does say some really introspective things. Sometimes he said, he said, my goal when I got into training was to find out how, how strong I could get. At some point, I'm going to have to admit that I found it. Yeah. And that's a that's a really, it's a deep statement because maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but I got to find out for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to try and get back on the horse. If I could just put the fucking bar on my back. That'd be great. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at too. It's like, 
I don't believe that I have found that. Yep. I don't remember really going to think that, but I really, like, I'm very self-aware. I'm very, like, um, you are. That's changed as well, though. Yeah. So, like, introspective with myself, because I don't even know that's the right terminology for that, but I am. And I know that I could be a little better than I ever was, because yep. I, I just I just didn't do it. And, and of course, we're all probably going to say that out of, like, ego, cockiness, but, like, like I know those the last two or three years, like I've had more mm -hmm. and I just fuck something up, up like along the way. And yeah. so I figure I'll use this year to really prove that to myself because I will be pissed at myself forever. If I don't. It's one of those things. Like I think because for us, we grew up, and came up in the sport in a time where no one gave a shit about what you were lifting except you, mm -hmm. it will always be a personal pursuit for me. Whether it's whether it's an all-time world record or like for me, I really want the Canadian squat record. It's still for me. It's not so I can post it on Instagram. It's for me. Yeah. Yeah, because we did come out a different time compared to now. So I even think I talked about this a little bit on um, table talk with Dave. Mm -hmm. I feel like some people might not even really actually compete if they couldn't post it. Yeah. And like, again, like, I think this air, like, we'll probably transition to this, but I think this air is very cool in the sense of there's so many more lifters, seeing so much more talent. And I personally think, even though we pretty much just said powerlifting ruined our lives in a funny way, uh, <laughs> ruined our bodies at least. Yeah, so great for so many people man like the people that come to my gym when i really just look back one to three years depending on who it is and see like how far they come just for this little sport and these people that i'm talking about probably 97 percent of them i could say hey do you know who like john hack is and they would say no because they don't follow all the shit that we see on social media they just love the sport they don't even know that there's different powerlifting federations like they'll hear about USAPL or something, and they'll just butcher the name of like USSCL or some shit. Yeah, just unaware of everything, but they come to the gym every day that they they need to. And they train hard. They meet new friends. They keep yep. those friendships. They come to these meets. Yeah, I love that, and I think it's funny because, and I had this conversation with a client maybe two three days ago. Um, that's not the powerlifting that you see on the internet. Mm -hmm. But powerlifting is so much more than, you know, John Hack and all these, you know, big, big time lifters. It's the person who maybe had low self-confidence, picked up a barbell, realized that they could improve their themselves through effort. And then now they associate the gym with the place where they can achieve more for themselves. And then I know for me, like, Man, if I didn't pick up a barbell, I wouldn't have gone to university. I wouldn't have gone to grad school. I wouldn't be a strength coach. I wouldn't live the life that I'm living. All because I decided to pick up a piece of metal with some circled. Yeah, I think about that all the time. I have no idea what I would be doing. Like, no I definitely wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. That's for fucking sure. Yeah. Like, just going back to these people, like you said, like, they once had low self-esteem, all those situations... I could probably just take my member list of like who 
competes in powerlifting now from my gym. And I could probably give you a great example about every single one of them. Yeah. And yeah, it's great. Like, That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, okay. So let's return back the, the question that I kind of wanted to tie into the idea that your next meet might be your last. It's, it's this idea of abundance versus scarcity. And you could look at it a few ways. The way that I think we, I'd like to hear your point is like, if we look at this with an abundance mindset, we have to view each meet as a stepping stone towards the next versus a scarcity mindset, meaning this meet might be my last. I have to milk everything out of it as possible. So it's that I'm going to go six for nine and shoot for huge PRs, or I'm going to go nine for nine and build to the next one. Where do you think you need to kind of fall within that spectrum? That's a tough one because you could almost argue both are beneficial. Yeah. So like I'll use, let's just say you have the mindset where you are using this building, you're using the building blocks to get to that big goal. We know that that big goal is always going to go higher. You can hit that goal all you want. You're going to step off the platform. Assuming you hit it, you're going to be happy. You're going to go to dinner and you're going to pull out your phone. You're going to go to open powerlifting, see where you're going to fall. I need to get a little higher than that. Yeah. And then if you go the other end where it's like, this might be the last meet, you have to put everything into it. What happens if you fuck up? Mm -hmm. So, and then it's almost like you're just going to go here, come down. And then you don't want to jump back to that other side of the spectrum where it's like, I'm just going to take these little jumps. Because if you went this way, there's a chance that you probably got pretty close to your goal. You just made one to two mistakes and failed. So that didn't exactly answer the question, but I feel like I feel like the responsible thing for us to tell our lifters would be go to the side where we're just building and having fun. Mm-hmm. Self when needed, try to get a little better each time. But there's going to be a point if you stick around long enough, you're going to have to jump to the other side. Yep. Those goals. And yeah, I I echo the same thing. It's you have to look at it from the long-term lens of I'm building towards the future. But I like one of the things that I do with my lifters, especially if I'm handling them in person, we have our, we have our plan, right? We have our good, better, best scenario in terms of attempts. I will always ask the lifter, what do you want to do? Because ultimately I want them to have the autonomy to take a shot when they want to take a shot or to play it conservative when they're not feeling confident. And I think that level of accountability on the lifter leads to always leads to the best results in my experience. And as you get further and further into this, the PRs that you're after will have to be on a perfect day. Yeah. I'm, I'm of no delusion that when I go to compete again and I want to squat 832, it's going to have to be a perfect day for me to stand up. Mm-hmm. So that is taking a shot. Right. Um, and will I feel confident? Will I be happy with the meat if I don't squat that? Probably not. No, you're not. <laughs> you sit down, it's not going to happen. Like yeah. you don't hit it, and that's your goal. There, you're. You can just play positive all you want around your friends and stuff, but you know there's going to be a part of you that, like, yep. almost hates yourself for not doing it. It's the competitor. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's funny you say that going back to when you handle your lifters, it's, I do the same thing. I kind of give them like a range from the convert. Yep. Like, so what do you want? And like me, I'm fortunate enough where I get to a lot of the lifters that compete in my meets, they train at my gym. Yep. So even if I'm not with them all the time, I see them enough where like, I kind of, even if it's someone I don't really talk to all the time, because, you know, we have some people that are different times or right. they just keep themselves. I see enough where like, I'm pretty sure I know what the good call would be, but I'll let them pick it. And so, and most of the time it's the men where it's like, okay, they're probably going to miss this lift. Oh, they, I can, I'm like 99% accurate on those. And then the females, they're a little more conservative, but funny enough, it's always when we're conservative with the females, I'm like, fuck, we should have went higher. So it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's just the pattern I noticed. And like, again, like, you know, this, the females with the bench press, like that shit can get hard if you try to jump over 11 pounds, depending on the strength of the lifter. Yeah. And then so sometimes you're just like, shit. So they kind of slow down on their second. They're a hundred pound venture. We have to call 104.9. They're probably not going to get it. And yeah. You ever play the game? And this is something I do when I go to meets and I'm not not coaching a lot of lifters and I get to watch a little bit. I'll play the make or miss based on the setup. I'll like watch the person set up for the lift. I'll be like, miss. No, I tend to think that. So, yeah, I guess kind of don't play that game. But when the mannerisms change yes. from, from like attempt to attempt, then, yep. you know, they're trying to talk themselves talk themselves into being able to hit the lift. Yep. That, yeah. That's exactly what I look at. Yeah. I'll like watch their opener and I'll watch their second. And based on how they set up for that third, I'll know like with 99% accuracy, whether it's going up or not. Because they beat themselves before they get to the platform. For sure. Um, okay. This was a question for me, but I think it'd be interesting to hear your take on it. Now that you are where you are, would you redo anything with regards to your education, the the timeline or the choices you've made along the way to get to where you are? In terms of? In terms of your education or in terms of, uh, you know, taking on the, the business risks that you did at the time, would you change anything along the way? No, definitely not. Because like what I'm doing right now is really cool. Like as cliche as that sounds, like almost the last, I think it was the last podcast you posted uh, with the with the other couple you know, yep. the one I talked to you about. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much started off saying like, yeah, I get to live wherever I want and do whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're living where you wanted to live. I've always not wanted to have like a job. And I feel like I do not have a job. Like, I almost feel insulted when someone says, like, oh, do you have to go to work today? Oh, he's at work. Or I'm like, I don't fucking work. Like, I hang out at a gym. At a gym. I tell I people run. I'm unemployed all the time. Yeah. Like, it's it's stupid. And then, so, yeah, obviously, in hindsight, it's like, could I have done this better, this better? But, like, again, I don't like using cliche things. Everyone says oh, it's all about the journey because we, we like the end result. We, we want to accomplish sure. what we want to accomplish. But... Those setbacks or those things that you do wrong, they teach you to do whatever you're going to do a little better. So, like if it was a straight line up, let's just say in business, you're probably going to stall. If you get hit really hard with something negative, 
you almost obsess over that so it doesn't happen again. Then here comes to here. Then you start going back up. That's kind of how I see it. I think too, when you factor it in that we're both in positions where we have an influence on others and we can use our missteps to help those people avoid them. I think that really validates the journey that you've been on. Um, I actually did a video. Uh, it's going to come out on Friday uh, on YouTube about the 10 things I would change about my business from when I started. And it got me thinking a lot because for those who don't know, like I went, I did an undergrad, then I went to did two different master's degrees. And then during that time I was a collegiate strength coach. Well, then I started competing at a high level in powerlifting. Then I transitioned out of coaching for a while. So like I've been in a weird, like, you know, kind of a workaround scenario of different careers and different career paths. But, you know, if I could, if I could change it at all in that regard of like going to school and doing, man, I think about the opportunities that I had just by going doing my master's and being a college strength coach. Like I've coached four Super Bowl winners. I've coached guys who played in major league baseball. I've coached guys who played, you know, in, in, in the CFL, I've coached guys who played major league lacrosse and won championships. Uh, I've been invited to weddings of athletes that I've coached. Um, I've gotten to train at some of the most amazing facilities all across North America. Uh, I have the, I, you know, I have phone numbers of guys that I used to read in magazines. I've, I've had, and I even mentioned like, I've had people that used to mentor me reach out for help and I wouldn't be in that position if I didn't go through the the education and the experience that I did. Are there some things that I wish I did differently on the business side of things? Fuck, absolutely. I made a lot of mistakes. I spent a lot of stupid money on some stupid shit. But overall, like I think about even just the sheer volume of lifting that I've seen in my life. Right? You think about 500 student athletes for five years, three times a week, squatting, benching, and deadlifting the coach's eye that you develop, the different yeah. strategies that you learn. Um, having learned from probably close to 50 coaches in person as to how they do things. Right. So I, I, I started off, the, I might've started off behind the eight ball in terms of uh, making my business a business, but the toolbox that I had when I actually pulled the trigger on it, oh man, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Yeah, that makes sense because it's not like you became a coach and had to really learn on the job. I mean, we still always do that. Yeah, of course. Such a good, such good background experience before going into it. And then really, it's almost like when you started the business, you just had to improve the business and I'm assuming service delivery and things like that. Yeah, it was just a matter of like finding the systems that worked and necessity is the mother of invention. Because when I started my business, I was working full time. So I couldn't do anything that took a lot of time. I had to, you know, service at a high level, but in the shortest amount of time possible. So it got me to a position where I had to figure out how to do it because also my business scaled really quickly, especially, uh, especially during COVID because I started coaching more. I could always coach nutrition, but I never really did it. Then I started putting out more information on nutrition. People started reaching out to me for nutrition. I also did a lot of continuing education and things like that. So that nutrition side of the business really scaled for me. And by the time I quit my full-time job, I had 60 clients. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I've been able to downgrade. And, and now I only coach 36 because I've launched the mentorship. 
Um, actually, I think I have 39 now. I'm, I'm trying to keep it under 40. But for me, like, it's just been a matter of remembering that, yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes, but those mistakes are now carried over to the lessons that I can teach the people that I work with, whether on the athlete side or on the business side. And to me, that's just, it's really fulfilling because I see the, I see the successes every day, you know? Yeah. It's really fucking cool. Um, what is the, your favorite type of client to work with? I don't have one. Like, of course, <laughs> yeah, of course it's going to be like, oh, I like the one that does everything like that you say and I all that. Because like, it, it makes it cool because it's almost like, well, shit, what I am, what information I'm giving is working because it's, it's being done. Like, for example, like I'll always brag about this guy. He was one of my first real success stories. His name's Adam Franson. He came to my house because I used to train people at my house. Yep. Uh, whatever. The week before my gym opened, he was 300 pounds, out of shape, smoker, all that shit. And then he just stuck with it, was consistent with everything to this day. And he's been as low as 224. He's like 245 with the abs now. Holy he's shit. About to total probably fall goes a plan in two months, uh, 1600 at the ghost meet. Like didn't do. Yeah. So like, but he's like that type where he does what it takes to meet his goals. Like he travels for work all the time. Mm -hmm. He eats the same thing pretty much every day. He he's in his car eating with his cooler. Like he, everything's there. Like, if he has to go out to eat for breakfast on one of his business trips, he'll text me about how he had to pay $40 for an omelet because he had to do the egg white substitutes and all that, that all the time. Yeah. yeah. So like just having someone like him is like, look, if you do the work, you're going to see pretty damn good results. But then it's also, it's cool to have the person that like struggled with everything. And then they just fix something here, fix something there. And then they start to see results. So long-winded answer, no favorite client, but it's like what you'd probably model your best one and your worst one are both like awesome to work with. Yeah, exactly. You know, I would, uh, you know, having a client like, I mean, like Joe, right? Joe, Joe Millslagle like runs a very successful real estate business. Dude checks every box every day makes no excuse and just genuinely just makes it happen. He's great to work with because it's like a science experiment. Whereas I have other clients who have these like massive mental barriers and a big, a like a huge point of victory for me is, you know, breaking down that wall and, and reshaping that thought process to a point where they can get out of their own way. And then, and then they start seeing some progress and that snowballs. So like, on one end, it's like, here's a science experiment. On the other end, here's this like massive journey of self-discovery. The payoff on both sides is really cool. Um, and that's why I, whenever coaches come to me and they're like, I want to work with athletes. I'm like, yeah, you probably don't. No. Because you yeah. don't get the same payoff. Imagine the payoff. Uh, dude takes his 40 from a 4.5 to a 4.4. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Or... 
mom learns how to eat well in a sustainable fashion and teaches her kids to do the same. Yeah. Trickle down effects. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we see a lot of that because my gym really has, I would say if I broke down the membership, probably 65% female. And oh, the majority wow. of them are not like, not like 20 year old chicks that just work out. They're all like, not all, but a lot of them are like the mom type, have careers, bring their kids in the gym. They watch that, like little things like that. So it's pretty yeah. cool. That's huge, man. I love that. Um, you had a couple questions in your box too. What was one of the ones you, you thought was good? All right. So we'll do two more. Okay. Two more. All right. So let's go with the one that has to do with training. So I'll, I'll make these two kind of one. So this is a guy who comes to my gym is working with me and he kind of falls under that side that does struggle with certain things and like, we'll, get on fall off but he's always trying to like learn the whys of things you know okay he said for us how i told you in the beginning i'd have to like read this so it, the sentence okay. structure um we know how much nutrition plays a part in training and building muscle uh, what information would you and i would have liked to know in the past of nutrition when we started training how important it really was along with hydration Okay, my, answer, my answer is going to be a lot different than I think you would think. Um, it's an analogy that I I've used a number of times, but one of the thing, one of the mistakes I think I made very early on was trying to make my entire life about powerlifting and about, uh, and even, even when I was doing bodybuilding, it's like, it's all about bodybuilding. I make much better progress as do the people that I work with when instead of making whatever the goal is, the default operating system, meaning everything revolves around it, to just being software that runs in the background. Yeah. That's when the good the, the best results happen. So do I eat all my meals every day? Absolutely. Do I do my cardio every day? Six days a week? Absolutely. Do I do I get my training sessions in and do I train at a high output? Absolutely. Do I think about it outside of the five minutes I'm eating my meal, the two hours I'm in the gym or the 30 minutes I'm doing the cardio? Absolutely not. It just happens. Yeah. And that like, I wish I was able to realize that it can be that simple. Mm -hmm. Well, earlier. Well, it really is simple. I mean, like, yep. like you said, it's software running in the background. So once you get the knowledge and you just make it a habit, that's you know what I mean so like what I think he's trying to say is he is leading to on a, like how important nutrition really is to reach the goals so oh. so like it's very important so like for me like you we've known each other like over 10 years now yeah like I was always just pretty fucking fat like no matter what I did and then we stopped doing that and then things got a lot better yeah. <laughs> a lot better and they look a lot better um and really, when you look at that beginning stages with the resources people have now and the information they seek, like nutrition really is the lowest hanging fruit, I think, for most people. Because yep. it's you just do something simple and just keep doing it. And your results are going to be exponentially better than if you just just lifted weights and did not pay attention to your nutrition. I think playing into that same, like blending, blending the two answers together, 
I think one mistake that people make is they change their approach way too often. Yes. Um, thinking that they need to be doing more or better rather than just doing good enough for long enough. That's this guy. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Just yeah. eat your meal. Like I haven't, I usually, especially when I'm not trying to either lose fat or gain muscle and I'm just trying to train really hard and, and recover well. And I don't really care about where my body weight goes or where my body fat goes. I might not change my macros for six months. Mm -hmm. And that's, I make some of the most amazing progress and I end up dropping body fat, building muscle at the same time, because you just give it long enough. And this is where I think I've been a bit on a soapbox about re research and how it's very limited in our ability to apply it. Because when you look at the research about weight gain, weight loss, muscle gain, muscle, muscle gain, and fat loss, all that stuff together, people say you can't lose weight. You can't lose body fat and gain muscle at the same time. Well, let, yes, you fucking can. If I'm eating at a maintenance level of calories and maybe I eat a little bit more protein than I'm, you know, maybe I'm on that like 1.1, 1.2 grams per pound. And then I train really fucking hard. Are you going to tell me that I'm not going to put on muscle just because I'm not in a surplus? It might not happen as fast. Actually, it definitely will not happen as fast, but it'll happen. You're hundred percent correct. Cause the whole, I agree with you. The whole research thing is limited and all the biases and stuff like that. But like, let's just use me as an example. Like, we tracked my results with Nexus scans through all, yeah. all, and like, I was when I lose like thirty pounds, and we still yep. put on some weight. And yep. really, like you said, you didn't change your macros for six months. My shit didn't change much at all. I think we dropped you like a to over total of like three months. I think we might have dropped you five hundred calories. Not even. We were about thirty three hundred to. Okay, you're at 600 calories, 3,300 yeah. to 2,700. Yeah. And there are days during that time where we were eating 3,800 calories, probably. Yeah, like refeed days and days. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I think the problem, not the problem, but the thing people have to recognize during this conversation we're having is they actually have to stick to that plan yeah. every day before it to work. Like, you can't take four out of seven days at your prescribed calories. And then kind of fuck off here and there and expect to see results because it, it all adds up. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I, I, you know, on the sustainability standpoint, so we'll use, we'll draw a contrast between me and my wife. Okay. So if you told me, Paul, you're not allowed to have any cheat meals for six months. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I would just eat my meals. Um, but Olivia loves having a meal off per week where she can just eat whatever she wants, whatever she's craving. And mentally for her, the, the way her relationship with food works is she really values that. And even though I don't to the degree that she does, we use it as an opportunity to bond. So if, if that meal off per week allows us to go out and have a date night and spend some quality time together, if I can build that into someone's nutrition plan, which is absolutely possible, where you have a free meal every week, if that makes it more sustainable, let's do that. Yep. 
if, if you could make the argument, well, a big bolus of calories is going to spike your blood sugar. You're going to have a higher fasted blood glucose for a number of days. You're going to be less insulin sensitive for a number of days. So fucking what? If that trade-off is that you stay on your diet forever, do you not think you're going to have better results than if you try to restrict yourself too much and end up going completely off the rails? Absolutely. Well, one free meal probably takes away five free meals through the week. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I'm not somebody who can have a treat every day. Even if I factor it into my macros, having a treat every day, I just mentally, I can't do it. Um, I've gone through periods where I've tried and I just, it fucks with my head. So I just don't do it. Does Live, it make you want to do that more? Pardon? So when you have that those like treat foods, does it make you want to eat more of yeah. those treat foods? But yeah, yeah. why are this? So like if you told me fit Ben and Jerry's into your macros every day, I would not be able to do that. Yeah. Like I, I, I probably... I, I would, I'd be more likely to have more cravings and end up, you know, developing a bad relationship with food than if I just don't eat those foods. Whereas Olivia can absolutely track a treat every day. And it's something she does all of her off season is if she wants a treat, she'll have it. She'll just factor it into her macros. Um, and it's knowing your personality, knowing what suits you best and running those experiments with yourself. At the end of the day, the big thing is, are you holding yourself accountable with macro macro tracking are you following a plan long enough to know if it works or not for you? Um, and then just being consistent for a really, really long period of time. Another factor here that I don't think gets talked about enough is training hard. Yes. Yeah. We kind of talked about that for me because yep. we're looking to do um, like a recomposition and kind of like what we're talking about now. Yep. My problem is I just can't train that hard right now yep. with injury rehab so like i can i do like a four day work workout week or yeah four day training week two days i can push pretty hard on the squat and deadlift days on my upper body days it's almost like when we're getting ready for a powerlifting competition they are less intensive than our scheduled deload days right typically i mean maybe not to the extent because i can still push in some of the accessory work but in terms of workload it just can't be that much yet yep so you have to adjust the nutritional approach. Whereas like for myself, like I can push my training as hard as I fucking want. Mm -hmm. And I just monitor my body weight. And if I need more food, I eat more food. And if I need less food, I eat less food. And I just kind of hover at the same body weight for extended periods of time. I just went through like a 12 week period where I was focused on putting on some tissue after our wedding. Um, I went from like 241, it was 253 this morning. Uh, I don't feel good. Yeah going to back off and but i'm not i didn't change any of the foods that i'm eating per se i just reducing reducing volume and uh i'm just going along with it so my advice to this person asking the question is do good enough for long enough and you won't have any worries about that question anymore yes that's the thing doing it for long enough i, I think that's the biggest thing without like those um self-justification days or like yeah i just i just need it i just needed a day yeah you fucking did fatty <laughs> so you want to do one more question yeah or? let's do one more question then i got some stupid ones for you okay oh shit all right so with the which one would you rather want to address so i have one 
top three lessons from opening the gym, which I think we could both kind of relate because you opened up a business, started it, or something about work-life balance. Let's do work-life balance, but I'm going to pause for one second because I have to pee really bad. I feel like a new man. All right, work-life balance. Um, (laughs) I put out a video about work-life balance recently because it's been kind of something I've been thinking a lot about. And I had a really good conversation with Chad Ikes, actually. And I think it's important to define what we're talking about when we say work-life balance. Because if we're talking about an actual balance, okay, you can have one side higher than the other, but you're still balanced, right? It's when the one side touches the ground and falls off the table, that's when you're really in a bind. We're going to talk about that, yeah. Yeah. So there's that aspect. I also don't believe that you can achieve greatness without, with being balanced. I don't think you can be the best possible version of yourself while being balanced because to be the best version of yourself as a whole person, you need to pour into every aspect at one point in time. And while you're pouring into the one aspect, something else has to pull back. You can't go all in on something and then all in on something else and all in something else at the same time. That's two factors. The last factor is what's balanced for me and what's balanced for you is completely different. Easy example, you're a father. Mm -hmm. If anything pulled you away from being the best father you could, you would immediately pull back from whatever that was. Yeah. Because being a dad is, is, is your priority. And it's the word priority that makes all of this pull, like pulls everything in. Because if you prioritize something, you need to deprioritize something else. And as soon as something is deprioritized, you are not balanced. So I think life exists in seasons. So right now, we we moved from Ottawa to, to Houston. The only thing that we have to do every day, Liv and I, is take care of our dogs, take care of each other, train and work. Mm-hmm. For most people, that's quite unbalanced because we don't have any family here. We don't like go out and party. We don't like do anything social, really. We go on a date every week and that's about it. Yeah. But for us, that's balanced and we're happy. But when we go back to Ottawa, you bet your ass I'm going to be spending every weekend with my niece and nephew. I'm going to be having lunch with my dad. I'm going to be going out, like going to my mom's place anytime I can because I need to reinvest in those areas of myself that I've pulled back from and deprioritized since we've been here. Mm -hmm. So my idea of work-life balance Number one, like we said before, I don't really feel like I work. Yeah. Like I do a lot of stuff, but it's not work per se. So I don't really feel like I'm unbalanced in that regard. I think think some people would disagree. Uh, I I think I disagree with that sometimes, but work. I think work life balance is a meme. I think being balanced. I said it the other day, being balanced is a psyop. I think people who who preach about balance are very happy being mediocre. 
And I think people who chase balance end up being unhappy because they're searching for something that they can't have while also being the best versions of themselves. Yeah, sums up really good, man. So like, I agree with everything you said. And just going back to the people that preach about balance. So here's the thing. If someone tells me like, oh, you need to be more balanced. I think you should do this. I think you should do that. My first thought, no matter how close you are to me, is like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> because it's like, first of all, my life, I do what I want. Second of all, you more than likely are only projecting your shit onto other people. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it could be, and they don't mean it in a bad way, but right. they always have thought about what you should be doing with your life or what you should be prioritizing, who you should be prioritizing. And it's like, look, like you prioritize what you want to prioritize because chances are you're not prioritizing shit. You're just saying <laughs> you, so you're just using this fuck, like you said, the buzzword towards other people that are trying to accomplish things because you are not doing it. That's, that, that's what gets me going. As you can tell by the tone of my voice increasing as I fucking ramble about this. <laughs> Well, no, like I, me, I love it. It's so true. Yeah. Like you, you mentioned, like I have a daughter. I do. So like I live my life out of like a planner, right? So yep. I am I am divorced, so I don't have full custody of her. So that honestly, like that does help in terms of where I can shift certain days, mm -hmm. like business-wise, work-wise, whatever. Like we don't work, but you know, the gym, my training, even. So it's almost like when I have my daughter, I know what I'm gonna have her. And I work around that. Yep. So that's like priority planning time. So this night, this day, we're going to go do this. We're going here. If I know I'm going to have to go get here at four o'clock and do some stuff with her until 8 p.m., I'll make sure I do everything before four o'clock. Or if I still have a little bit left, I know that there's going to be a time at the house where I can just hop on the computer for 30 minutes and get it done while she eats dinner or watches TV. Yep. Or like just... So what I'm getting at is you have to, not have to, but you or I'm able to just plan things, whether it's her, whether it's my lifting, whether it's the meets I hold, other people's training sessions, communication with people, and then plan around that day or plan around those events for that day. So every day is a little different. So I guess that's how I balance things. But I also feel like, like you said, you can't really just be everyone's definition of balance because you will not be good at anything. Yeah. Even the there are, there are, there are times too, like I know when you're prepping for a meet, your training will take priority over other things, yeah. but you being a father will still be number one, right? You're still, you still need to be a, a, a good father. You still need to be a good partner, right? You still need to be a good business owner. And, there are time periods when that must shuffle. Like I even look at, you know, my immediate future live live just started prep. She's like 15 weeks out. I know that in about five weeks, my being a good partner must climb the priority ladder for me because she needs my help. Yeah. So what am I doing in other areas of my life to, accommodate for that increase in priority i don't really know yet because as it stands right now i don't really have to shuffle anything around to make that happen but there will be a shift in priorities which means something will deprioritize and i'm totally okay with that i also am in a period right now where 
business is taking up a, a large portion of my mental bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really had to deprioritize anything because we moved across the country and took shit off of our plate. Yeah. I don't have to worry about taking care of our house anymore. I don't have to worry about, you know, our furnace or our roof or whatever. We have a landlord. Just call her, you know? So that's, that sort of stuff is like, I think people, I think you nailed it when you said the people who preach about balance are just protect, projecting their shit onto you. Yeah. And, and chances are they probably mean well, or they have a very biased opinion on what you should be putting your attention on. But like when it comes down to it, it's, it's your life. I mean, like, so the selfish thing for me, right, is my training. Like, I really don't think the gym and the coaching is that selfish. It's just what I do. Yeah. Everyone does something. That's what I do. So I will have to make trade-offs for training. Like, I'm very fortunate where Saturday mornings, that's like that almost non-negotiable training days for me, even now, because so many of my guys live together. The girls all live together. I just like being in the gym during the atmosphere. My mother, she can always be with peanut however if she's okay i can't do it one morning i could shift things around i, I, I could make it work i could just bring her to the gym put her in front of a fucking ipad or something for a little bit yeah like it would be convenient but like i would still figure out a way how to get it done and like i said i'm very fortunate where i do have like the family like my mom who gets along great with peanut i mean mm -hmm. it's a cool bond they have where i can just go do those things and it's like almost everyone's happy. Like I can still get my shit done. Yeah. If I need to switch the schedule up so I see her a little more that week because I have to do something on a certain day, like go to a meet or something, and I do that. And in the end, it all kind of balances itself out organically. And that's kind of the spot I'm in. Could I have like a situation where it was like just me and I had like a terrible relationship with her mom and like we'd be fighting all the time and like, can't leave her here. Can't like it could, but I'm not in that spot. So like, yeah, I have the family, I have the support and it always works. And, and that's where, that's where it comes together for me in terms of my daughter. And yeah. So if you're worried about balance, you're a fucking pussy. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Like just one more thing on the daughter. I don't yeah. really like people use their kids this doesn't really pertain to me at all, but like people use their kids and why they didn't do something. So they're like, Oh, I, I can't prioritize the gym, my health, my business, my work, making money because of, I got to do this for my kid. So it's like, you couldn't figure out your fucking schedule or priorities and figure it out to better your life, which is going to better your kid's life and blame your kid when she or he is 10 years old one, why you're fat and lazy and broke. Like, come on. Shots like, fired. Yeah. I, I'm with I you. I, I agree wholeheartedly in that spot. Like if Olivia is like 13 years old one day and he's like, Hey, like, why are you so fat and broke? I'm like, I just had a, I just had to stay in a run of the mill job for you because you're, you held me back. She'd probably be pretty upset. And I wouldn't want that. And the harder you work, the better example you set for your kid, even if you're not there all the time. Nailed it. My mother and I, like, we never had the best relationship. Like, him and my mom got divorced when I was 15. 
but he was like your, I guess the word would be like type A worker, came from fucking literally China on a boat, no English, studied the dictionary, still don't have like a huge, great communication thing with him, but I admire how hard he worked. Like, even if we don't get along all the time, like, and he did that at the time to better himself. And I think, and my mom too, she was, um, she worked at the restaurant with my dad. They sold it, got divorced. She went to school, became a teacher, did what she always wanted to do, which was teach at the time and still does it. Like, I saw that growing up. If I didn't see that, I probably wouldn't have the the, the uh, work ethic I do now. So, <laughs> You know, they weren't there all the time when I was a kid. I appreciate what they did because it taught me indirectly on how to be like them yeah. in different ways. Now, is Peanut on your daughter's birth certificate? Yes, I'm going to change it. <laughs> she identifies as Peanut. Um, all right. So I like to finish podcasts with like really stupid questions. So, and since you've never been on and you've never answered my stupid questions, you get them. Who's your favorite professional wrestler? Fuck. It changes. So it's always been the rock by default because he's who I grew up watching, but the current storyline, that's a fucking dick. Cody Rose, he's got to win WrestleMania and he's going to ruin it. Like, I know you probably don't watch it now like I do, but that's what's going on. And he's playing a good heel. And I just don't really like where the storyline is going. But still, he's my favorite wrestler. Him and Triple H were the guys that I grew up like loving from age seven until now even. Yeah. Crazy they're still around. But yeah, all time I have to go there. Okay. Uh, do you Chris prefer Stratus. watch... Sorry, go ahead. Chris Stratus, back from the WWE. Okay. <laughs> we all know. We can, we can imagine why. Um, do you prefer watching... Female UFC or male UFC? People are going to get so mad at me, but definitely male, the male MMA. Because the talent's better. It's been around longer. You know, like I, I watch it pretty much every, literally every weekend for the last like 10 years. So women's MMA really wasn't a big thing. So when it started, it was more of like, I don't want to use the word entertaining, and I hate to say skill because like, they're all better than anything I could do. Right. But you can just tell the discrepancy between like the experience and the skill was so big. It was never that good on the women's side. But now, since it's been around a long time, it's evolved. So really, I don't really have a preference. I like it all. But I think the um, I like the men's fights better just because a lot of the storylines behind it, too. Because like I know it was real fighting, but WWE, the storylines, they mix into every entertainment aspect. So... Um, what's the scariest lift you've ever done either in a meet or in training scariest lift was not too long ago it was when I had to bench the PVC pipe after I had the pec tear so oh that's not where it's really weird I was sweating so I was able to get the one pound dumbbell three pound dumbbell and then I was like all right let's go to the PVC pipe and it was, I had to put the little bench block on it yep. and I couldn't reach my chest. It just got so tight. And then after like multiple times of trying, I finally just committed for it to hit my chest and it went up. And that was terrifying. 
And I'm sure the next terrifying thing I do is the next time I bench into meat. But if we yeah. wanted to do like a non-rehab, like coming back, terrifying? Honestly, none of them, really. Not to sound like a hard master or anything, but I've never really been scared of a lift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've told this story before, but I, I squatted 750 for a double in my basement by myself during COVID. In, in <laughs> yeah. an ER. In an ER rack. I don't do that shit. I'll I'll wait for my friends to come to the gym. Yeah, um, dude, I really appreciate your time and uh, for doing this with me. It was nice to catch up, pick your brain on some things. I think it's actually the longest podcast I've ever recorded with uh, with anyone on CCU. So, I mean, yeah. we had a lot to talk about. Is there anything that you would like to promote or you know shout out? No, no. All right. Well, I'll yeah, have some so, links to where people can find you in the gym in the show notes. And no, I was just I got something. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. So I own the gym, Showcase Strength and Fitness. Um, it's in Northport. If you're ever in Florida and you want to come visit, or if you live here coincidentally and you don't know it exists, come to the gym. Um things I really like to promote are the the meats I hold. It's kind of like the favorite thing I do all the time. Uh, March 16th, we're putting on a first responders veteran site meet. It's for um, charity. Unfortunately, we didn't get the most, um, like the biggest turnout lifter wise, but it looks like we're training to raise about four thirty-five hundred to $4,000 for a local firefighter's family. Awesome. He has cancer, pretty, pretty bad story. I kind of got the full details yesterday. And then in June, Showcase Super Classic 4, went ahead and made it a weight class battle meet. So the weight classes all get payouts rather than just the best three lifters overall. That way, like in this local meeting, local meet setting, your like intermediate lifters and novice lifters still have a chance to win at least a hundred bucks. Nice. Damn, a whole lot of meets. August, first weekend, I'm doing a all youth meet. So it'll be probably up to 20 years old. So like teenagers and okay. And the day after that, the master's meet. So 40 plus, you'll be there soon. And then and then the December meet is the one I hope to see you at, King and Queen yeah. of the Platform, which is kind of my goal to make it the big meet to attract at least a flight of top-end lifters to share the platform with the typical local meet crowd. So I'll be with the typical local meet crowd. And then you no, guys. No, you'll be, I'm pretty sure you'll be in flight seat. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, thank um, you so much for joining. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. See you. Take it soon.